were able to sing about victory on Good Friday because we know what the fact is after the fact. When the disciples were eating with Jesus that night, they didn't know. They were confused. They were thinking about themselves. They were thinking about what Jesus was saying, why he was acting a little strange, why he was talking about going away. And then as he said, one of you is going to betray me, they started arguing, well, which one of us is it? And that quickly evolved into, well, it can't be me because I'm greater than you. And I'll be greater than you in the kingdom of heaven. Totally off the mark, totally misunderstanding what was going on, totally unaware that the Son of God was embodying the very dinner that they were having. They were celebrating the Passover, the remembrance of how God had delivered the people from Egypt. The meal that marked what God had done when he said, prepare the lamb and get some unleavened bread and eat standing up with your sandals on because you're going to be leaving soon. Remember what I'm doing. Remember how I've gotten you out of this awful bondage. And as they sat there and celebrated that meal, as they sat there and took the Passover with Jesus, they did not realize that that sacrificial lamb that had been set up in Exodus was now sitting in front of them. That Jesus himself was becoming the sacrificial lamb in that moment. Passover was significant to the Jews, but for the disciples who were unlearned, just everyday men, it was just another feast. It didn't really have that mark on their lives. And we can tell that by what they were doing. But what Jesus did in that moment and the picture of what that means for us is so significant that we have to take a couple minutes, even though it's a little late, we have to take a couple minutes and look at it. Because it changes who we are for eternity. This truth we're going to talk about tonight has changed my life forever. My eternity is different because of this. And I hope every person in this room knows that. I hope you know what it is to trust in Jesus and have your life change forever. Because if you don't, you're going to hear it tonight. And this will change your life. If you will open up your heart, what we're going to see right here will change your life forever. I'm not talking about, well, get a better job or have more money. Listen, that means nothing. I'm talking about eternity. I'm talking about where your soul will spend Eternity. If you have a Bible, turn just for a moment to Luke chapter 22. And let me just take a couple minutes and lay this out because there are four pictures here that I just want to spend a few minutes on each that give us the assurance that trusting in Jesus Christ is the only way that we can be saved. Jesus sat down with the disciples for the Passover meal. If you're in Luke 22, it's in verse 7. I'll start reading as you turn. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. They said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said, When you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. You'll say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat Passover with my disciples? And he'll show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, verse 14, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I say to you, I will never again eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. When he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom comes. When he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup which they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Everything Jesus does here is a picture. And God in Scripture uses a lot of descriptive pictures and a lot of descriptive analogies to help us really understand the spiritual principles that are here. And what we get to see tonight is just how complete God's blessing is, just how complete the work of Christ is, because the the original Passover was temporary protection. The blood of a lamb, even a spotless lamb, even one that had been brought to be sacrificed, it only covered sins for a while. That's why every year there was a day of atonement, because the blood wasn't sufficient to cover forever, but the blood of Jesus is. There's no more sacrifice for sins, Hebrews says. There's nothing else that can take place. The blood of a lamb covered for a while. The blood of Jesus covers forever. And let's be absolutely abundantly clear tonight. This is the only way we can be saved. It is only through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other truth. There is no life apart from Christ. What he has done tonight is complete and sufficient to remove the penalty of sin from you forever. And if you came here tonight and you've never trusted Him, you never knew that, today's the day to understand it. Because what we've sung about, what Sam talked about, what's been testified, what you've seen on video, what we've represented here at the table, it is all about the work that Jesus did. And the work of Jesus is sufficient. Now, there are four pictures here, and let me give them to you quickly, because there are four symbols in the text that explain why we can be saved, and what happens when we are. The first is in verse 7, where we see that it was the time of Passover. Now again, this was the Jewish remembrance of getting out of slavery in Egypt, where they were protected from judgment by the blood that they put on the doorposts. But before we look at that detail in a minute, we have to understand exactly what the overarching principle was. Why did they need deliverance? Why did they have to put blood on the doorposts and pray that God would deliver them. It was because they were in bondage. They were in bondage. They were in slavery. For four centuries, they had been slaves to the Egyptians. And there wasn't one person, when Passover was established, that hadn't been born into slavery until Moses shows up and gets them out. They only knew a lack of freedom. They only knew captivity. They had no choice That was their life. Their captors were stronger than them. They could not get out. They were helpless. They were insufficient. Nothing could release them. There was no end in sight. And for a long time, they didn't ask God for help. They just stubbornly and proudly and bitterly existed, persistently refusing to say, God, we need your help. And you know what? That's a picture of all of humanity. All of humanity is in bondage to sin. And the fact 
that, that we have believed this lie that we don't need God, that, that we can act independently, that God is frivolous and irrelevant to our lives, and yet we are even more helpless and insufficient than the Jews were when they were in Egypt. And instead of instantly crying out and saying, God, help us, deliver us from this, we continue to be stubborn and proud and resistant. You would think that the news of this weekend would be something that everybody would run to. I'm in sin, and God loves me, and God decided to sacrifice himself to deliver me so I can live forever. Why doesn't everybody want that? And yet the resistance and the stubbornness is quick because every one of us is born into bondage. The Bible says there is not one that is righteous, not one. And yet, when we admit we're in slavery and we need a Savior, that's when we recognize that Jesus is the only answer. It's fascinating to me that for 400 years, Israel was in slavery, never crying out to God, never looking for help, never asking God for His mercy. And the moment it says in Scripture that they cried out to God, God instantly started to deliver them. He had already prepared Moses. He'd already said, my people are about to cry out to me. Moses, you get ready. I don't want to go. I don't care. You're going. When we cry out to God for salvation, he instantly delivers us. How do we know that? Because he set up salvation before we even asked for it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. So it was Passover. Second, would you see in verse 15 that they ate the Passover meal before Jesus gave them the bread and the cup. Now, the the Seder meal, so to speak, that's what it's called, had different components. It had bitter herbs and horseradish to symbolize the harshness of bondage. It had salt water to picture their tears. There were nuts and honey to depict the mortar of the bricks that they had to make without any straw. And there was an egg to symbolize life. And then there was a lamb shank. And the lamb shank symbolized the lamb that was sacrificed. Now, the lamb was key. Because as we said earlier, there had to be a payment for sin. There had to be atonement. There had to be uh, uh, some kind of sacrifice. Now that seems harsh because when you think of all the animals in the world that we probably think are too innocent to be sacrificed, it's a lamb, right? You can kill any snake you want in my presence, I'll be happy. If a shark's coming at me, it's going down if I've got the right tools. If a lion's racing at me, it's him or me. But a lamb, what have they ever done? What have they ever done to harm anybody? They're innocent. They're helpless. And the Bible says that the guilt had to be put on the lamb. The weight of sin was put on that male, spotless lamb. And it became the sacrifice. And the blood that poured out from it was a payment for the sin of the people. That's what Jesus was. Except His sacrifice was perfect. Because while the blood of the Lamb only covered for a short time, Jesus' blood covers eternally. Second Corinthians says that He was made sin who knew no sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He was the substitute and His substitutionary sacrifice is enough. His blood covers all our sins. Hear that word. All our sins. He doesn't say, Rhodes, I'll cover some of them up to age 30. You're on your own after that. 
You got saved at nine. You're responsible for everything else. He says, my blood covers all your sins. And that leads to the third point, verse 20. As Jesus gives them the cup, he says, this represents the new covenant. And the new covenant is in my blood. See, at the first Passover, they took the blood and they put it on the doorpost as a covering for that house, as a, as a representation that we are believers. We believe in you, God, and we believe that the blood will be the covering for our sin. So when the angel came over with judgment from God for those who had rejected him, he looked down and he looked for the blood on the doorpost. And where he saw the blood, he said, I'm passing over that. But where there was no blood, he struck the firstborn down. Didn't matter who you are. Young or old, popular or unpopular, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, it did not matter. Without the covering of the blood, there was no hope. The Bible says it's appointed once for man to die, and after that, the judgment. And nobody is righteous enough to offset that judgment. But that blood on the doorpost, God says, I'll spare my judgment. And now we have a Savior that hung on a cross made of wood and He paid the price. Colossians 2 says, You were dead in sin and flesh. Christ has made you alive together in Him, having forgiven all our sins, having canceled out the certificate of debt against us, and He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is the new covenant. Not that we rely on the blood of sheep, but that we rely on the blood of our Savior who takes away the sins of the world. What a confidence we have tonight. Our chains are gone. We've been set free. Why? Because sin, the penalty, and the curse has been eradicated from our lives forever. Everybody say amen. It's gone. It's gone. There's no more record. There's no more evidence. It has all been erased. Now, what does that mean for us? Look at one more picture and we're done. Go back to verse 7. Because there's a responsibility that we have. We can say, well, I'm saved, Paul. I I received Christ on such and such a date. And I went forward and talked to the pastor and prayed. and, and, And that's my life. And I'm saved and praise the Lord. That's wonderful. But what are you doing now? Because Christ didn't die just to give us an insurance policy. Okay, you're good. Your sins are forgiven. You're going to heaven. Live however you want. But you're saved. No, look at the time that it was when they sat down to dinner that night. Verse 7, it was the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. The bread symbolized the preparation of their hearts for God's deliverance. He said, for seven days, I want you to remove all leaven from your house. I don't want any yeast in your house as you remember my faithfulness. And that was a deeper spiritual principle that we really need to grab on tonight because leaven is a picture in Scripture of internal sin. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees because it will corrupt you. They seem spiritual on the outside, but internally they are full of self-righteousness and pride and they're self-serving in their hearts. Galatians 5 tells believers, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, when you have dough and you add that yeast to it, that yeast is living. It's kind of creepy, isn't it? That yeast is living. But when you put it in that unleavened dough, all of a sudden things start to rise and change and the structure changes of that. He says that's what sin does. Even the smallest sin in your life puffs you up. 
Even the smallest sin in your life changes the character of who you are. So he says you've got to get sin out of it. Jesus delivered us from the bondage of sin. Now he says you have to live unleavened lives. See, it wasn't a coincidence that it was the first night of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because Jesus, now that he's done this work, now that he's redeemed us and saved us and forgiven us, he didn't die so we can continue to live in sin. He died so sin will never be an issue again. And yet, how often do we allow the leaven to just creep right back into our lives where we just continue to say, well, it's okay because I'm forgiven. Remove the leaven from your lives. You see, when we understand who died for us and we understand the work that he did, and I'm done, we can't live any other way. Without Jesus Christ, we're in bondage. There's no hope, there's no escape, there's nothing we can do. And if you have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you can either ignore that reality and walk out the door and go home. Or you can say to yourself, God loved me so much that he was willing to sacrifice for me so I can be delivered forever. His grace is enough to cover my sin forever. Without Jesus, there's no other sacrifice. Nothing will be sufficient. Nothing you can do to get you there. Without Jesus, your sin can't be removed forever. We're as helpless as the Israelites were in the, with the Egyptians, except times about a billion. But with Jesus, listen now, this is the good news. With Jesus, our sin is removed and we're declared free forever. And God makes us holy like himself. He died to take our sin on him and remove it. But that's not the end. We praise his name tonight that the cross is empty. And so is the grave. The cross is empty and so is the grave. That's not just a picture. That is reality. And we can celebrate it tonight because we're going to celebrate it again in two days. And we can say with complete confidence, He is alive. He's alive. Let's praise Him for that tonight. He's alive. The cross isn't the end. The cross is the means to get us to salvation. And because Christ is alive, and we're going to go ahead and give you the lead for Sunday. You already know it, but let's say it again. That grave is empty. Because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's close our eyes. Father, we thank you tonight for this truth. For the greatness of the reality of salvation that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and rose again according to the Scriptures. And because of that, You have provided salvation for us forever. We have to trust in Christ. And Lord, I pray if there's someone in this room tonight that has never done that, that right now You would waken their hearts, Lord. That they would know Your love and Your mercy and Your grace. And they would give their lives over to You right now. Lord, for those of us that love you, we praise you. We can't wait to celebrate in two days the resurrection of Christ. But Lord, we thank you that it's not just the day. It's every day. 
that we get to live for you. May our lives be free of the leaven of sin because you have eradicated it forever. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.